if you were to tell me that as a 21 year old sophomore in college, it was possible to make thousands of dollars in my dorm room, I would tell you, no way, that's a scam. But our guest here today actually did it. After losing more than half of his $6,000 account initially, Kyle did not give up. He refunded his trading account and really dove deep into identifying strategies that worked for him. Kyle has since then turned that small account into over $3 million in profit. In this podcast, you're going to learn trading strategies that work best for growing a small account under PDT rule, how to master stock selection and aim for high probability trades, trader psychology, and how Kyle developed a high level of discipline in risk management. Spoilers, Kyle is a really rare case in trading. He's extremely self-conscious and reflective, which is the main reason why he has not blown up a single account in the six years that he's trading. Make sure to hit the like button and share this video with your trading buddies. Now let's dive into our conversation with Kyle Williams. Welcome to the Humble Traders Podcast, Kyle. Thanks for having me. This is, this is such a delight. Thanks Thank you for making that two-hour drive from San Diego up here. Totally, absolutely. It's it's not too bad of a drive. It's pretty easy, straightforward. So, if you don't mind sharing, like, what kind of trader are you to our audience, and what kind of trading style are you focusing on right now? So, I am a, I'm a short bias trader. Uh, I do go long. I do go both ways, but but I would say ninety percent of my profits are on the short side. Mm. Um, I like to say I'm so bullish or I'm so bearish I'm bullish like I love I love when stocks go up but ultimately it's because I, I enjoy shorting them to have them come down and gain that kind of momentum um, but yeah I'm a, I'm a momentum short seller um, and, mm. and most of the momentum I trade comes from smaller priced um, nano or micro cap stocks so any stock mm. under I think my sweet spot's like three to four bucks okay um, but I will trade stocks that go into the 10 20 range like if they start at five and then run up to, to 20 25 mm -hmm. uh, I'm, that's totally fine with me it's whatever that wherever that volatility is um, an extension comes from I love end up shorting you know that's most of my profit is shorting those kind of stocks so did you always start with short selling when you first started trading when I first started I was pretty I was pretty open to shorting and longing. Okay. I wasn't when I first started, like I only want a long or I only want a short. Yeah. I actually remember when I first opened up my eTrade account, very almost too freely willing to test it all and try, mm. try it all with really without knowing what I was exactly doing. And uh, it wasn't until about a year in or so that I finally realized shorting was probably the better edge that I can develop. Um, but my first setup I ever learned actually was going long. So I, you know, I've always had it in me to go both ways, but just the way it ends up is 90% of my profits end up being on the short side, so. I think a lot of traders, myself included, we, when we start, we didn't know shorting was possible. So that's why I asked you the question. Mm -hmm. But I realized every stock I bought just like ended up going down. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> right. okay, why don't I just do the other way then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how many years ago was that when you got into trading? So it was the summer of 2016. Okay. Um, and I remember specifically because I, I was a freshman going to sophomore in college and I was a mechanical engineer and I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I just knew it wasn't something, I enjoyed the math aspect of it, but in terms of actually being an engineer and maybe building something wasn't mm. really my strong suit. But, uh, but I found a lot of interest in just stocks. I've always been interested in stocks from the beginning. Like I had my, like the best thing my dad ever did was have me try to buy like, uh, he, had, he had a mutual fund I bought as a kid. Um, but I think one time mutual we Mutual fund? Yeah. Oh, I, well, okay. So, so I mean, guess backstory to that is, when I was, uh, gosh, I want to say seven or eight years old, I had a best friend 
who got money for doing allowances from his parents. Okay. And I remember asking my parents, like, why don't I get an allowance like that? And so we kind of made a deal. Like, if I, you know, pick up the dog poop, take out the trash, and, like, wash the dishes every dinner, okay. they would give me five bucks a week. Oh. And my parents, the best thing they ever did was they said, okay, Kyle, if you can save up those $5 a week up to, like, 20 weeks, like, save up 100 bucks, we'll take that money from you, if you're willing, if you, if you let us, and put it into a mutual fund. Um, and at, you know, nine, 10 years old, I, I don't know exactly what a mutual fund is. All I know is if I'm not going to spend this money, they've pretty much convinced me that like, it's going to grow. I'm like, okay, sure. Okay. Um, and that was the money that actually helped me start trading with. I oh. essentially what happened is when I was then back to the college part, when I tried to look and find what I else, what else would I want to do besides, you know, mechanical engineering, hmm. I ultimately came across the, the show, the big short, not the show, the movie, the big short. Okay. Where yeah. it talked about the whole, one of my favorite movies. Really good okay. movie. Yeah. Uh, and it, when I first watched it, I had no idea about half the stuff they were talking about, right? I just mm. I just knew money was moving around, the economy looked bad, and then it dropped, right? Um, I had no idea what it actually meant, but I ultimately realized, like, the economy fell, what, 50, 60% or whatever it was? Yeah. And at this point, I'm 20 years old. I had completely forgot that I even had this mutual fund at this point. This has been maybe 10 years now. Okay. And it made me realize, like, did my mutual fund drop 50%? Like, was oh. I was it affected by this whole thing that happened in 2008 that I had no idea about? I'm like, what? Uh, I was probably, like, 12 years old at the time, right? Or not, no, wait, I don't know the math. Like 14 or 15 maybe? Mm. But, um, and essentially I ended up looking up the, the ticker of the mutual fund or the fund itself. Okay. And yeah, like I lost 50%. And oh, it was a huge, okay. it was a huge, I mean, it, it came back obviously with the yeah. overall markets by the time I looked in 2016. But it had kind of, um, it was a, a very big wake up call that like, wow, if I don't, try to manage whatever this money thing of the stock market is, yeah. I'm just going to be susceptible to any economy downturns that come forward like in the future. And I so see. that's what really got me into trying to figure out what exactly trading was. Because at the time I was so, I was such a, a beginner. I didn't even know the term like trading. I just mm. knew I needed to manage money than just holding it. Yeah. And ultimately I ended up cashing out that mutual fund because it just followed the market, if not underperform after like fees. Uh, and at the time it ended up being like 20 grand. Um, oh, saved up, yeah. I mean, wow, I, I, I okay. stuffed it. I mean, uh, um, Christmas money, uh, birthday money, and everything. I mean, and just it just turned into that over time. So, and is um, that your seed to start trading with? Yes. So that was oh. pretty much. I, I pretty much pulled out um, all of it. Used most of it to either start buying like a software education, and then funded a, a six thousand dollar e trade account. So yeah. So in a way, that mutual fund really is... It's helped me, for yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. If I didn't have it, I, I mean, I was, I was working a part-time job at the time as, yeah. as a, as a, in a restaurant. And so I probably could have eventually saved up from that because I, I was always been a, I've always been a frugal spender. I haven't really... I was never one just blowing my paycheck kind of thing. But uh, I definitely would not have had enough to just immediately start. I would have had to save mm. up for sure. So you started in college with that $6,000 small yes. account. Well, it's not small, but nowadays it's a small account. Right. How did that go when you first started trading with that $6,000? Um, funny, because I, so the first couple of trades I took, one specifically, I, I had, I had made, I'd followed like an alert, right? Uh, okay. I started with Tim Sykes, so he put yeah. out this alert and, and you know, you, everyone says, don't chase alerts. I've and done I, those too. Right. And of course, you know, little old me as a beginner, like, oh, I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to buy this, this stock with, with, with him. Mm, uh, okay. The worst thing it ever was, was it, it was winter. It was a huge winner. I made like oh. 450 bucks or 480 bucks, I think. And, uh, and I thought, this is amazing. Like there, there's, I, I've always learned or, or heard traders who have that one trade that gives them the bug of like, this is incredible. Like I want to mm. keep doing this. This trade was that for me to the point where I thought I figured it out. And this was like two weeks in, you know, so naive yeah. um, that by, I mean, a week later, I'd pretty much given it all back. 
so it was a huge slap in the face, but it was a good yeah. slap in the face in the sense that from then point on, on to the next qual, you know, six to seven months, I had dwindled that 6K account down to like 2,300. Mm. So down about like 70%-ish or whatever it is. So, so you were like slowly like, kind of taking these like yeah. losses, the, following alerts. Um, from so I guess to, to, to clarify, so that once I started following a few more alerts and started giving all that money back, mm. that pretty much stopped. I learned that lesson okay. very quickly. Um, the All the other losses was just me trying to test things out, trying to figure out strategies. Um, sometimes the point of even gambling, just, oh, I think the stock's going to go up and I just right. buy it, having no idea what I'm actually doing, right? Um, the good, the best thing I did, I just didn't take any large losses after that, like after giving back that 480 bucks, I never took any loss bigger than 100, 200 bucks, but it was like mm -hmm. death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. Right? It was like slowly bleeding every month to the point where like when I, by the time I started 2017, uh, yeah, I was down, you know, like four grand ish, like 3,700. Mm. So, so what made you decide to kind of, cause in college losing $4,000 out of 6,000, that's mm -hmm. what 70% maybe or 80% of the account. Mm -hmm. What, what, what made you decide to keep pushing forward? Cause you're in college, you're studying to become an engineer. Right. You have a future ahead. Yeah. Why, why, are we, why did you like stay with trading and trying to make this, you know, this job, this potential career work? Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I, think I, found an, I found a passion for it that persisted through. Um, and persevered through because I, I had thought about a lot of times because totally during during that period I there are definitely moments of quitting there are definitely moments of like what did I get myself into yeah like what's the point um, right know? and uh, ultimately I kept coming to was like well what would I rather be doing um, if I'm not doing this if I'm, if I'm not going to try to give it the best shot and figure this out mm. do I want to continue engineering no um, do I want to switch majors which I eventually did I switched to a finance degree okay. um, but even in the finance degree like I, I couldn't at least at the time of what was out there, I couldn't see myself being as excited every morning as I was about trading. Um, so for context, like I'm not a morning person. I, I, yeah. I would sleep until 10 a.m., 11 a.m. every yeah. morning if I could. And so we, me waking up you know, on the West Coast at like 5.30 every morning to prepare was like totally out of my comfort zone. But like the love and passion I had for trading got me to do that. And I couldn't, f I, at the time, I just didn't have anything else that was like, that could even, I could even think of, of having that level of, of mm. interest in something like that. You know, okay. like in college, I would, you'd have to, you know, tear off my, or like pluck hairs to get me to read, <laughs> you know, something painful to read, uh, to read a book for college. But for a trading book, I, I, I've read more books on trading than, than any other book topic mm. ever. And okay. I'm not a reader. Like I don't yeah. like reading. Um, it's and just you even switch your major to do this. Yeah. 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 So it's, it just, it just was something like, what, what, what would I rather be doing? And I just kept doing it and, and persevering. So, and obviously you made the right move, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you switch your major and you're trading that $2,000 account. Mm -hmm. What kind of got you to eventually to, you know, everyone goes red slowly, hopefully red to green. How did you get to that point? after having a $4,000 drawdown. So yeah, so once at my, at my lowest point of that account, I, I had officially come to the conclusion that I need to just stop trading, right? Okay. Uh, to the point where it's like clearly, I, all of my trading up to this point has led to losses. And so I need to take a totally different approach of what I've been doing to, to have any kind of profitability, right? Mm. Um, and so ultimately I came to the conclusion of like, I need to wait as long as I need to wait. I don't care if it's one week, three weeks, a month, two months until I wait for something that I feel is so, I'm so confident in of a strategy or are so confident of a potential trade to take that I, it, instead of, put it this way, instead of pushing myself to trade, I wanted to be pulled. Like I wanted I something see. so good to be like, you're, you're, you feel dumb to miss the trade, it's so good. And ultimately I came across um, 
Fannie Mae, FNMA, okay. uh, which is, I think it's below a buck now in terms of trading. But back then in 2016 and 2017, it was around, I think, three or four or five bucks. And it had this pattern that played out every year or so. And I think it ended up happening about six years for, not six years in a row, but six times over the last two or three years where it would have, um, you know, 30 minutes of straight buying, like a just perfectly, you know, trendy morning spike mm. and then a full hour of straight, straight selling. So it'd be, it'd go from like, say, break even on the day to up 30% and then with an hour down 30%. So like a full oh, 60% okay. kind of moved up and then down. And then that led to this huge kind of bounce move where it was like the, you can see it on like the level two and like the buyers and sellers where literally the selling would dry up and all of a sudden all these buyers start coming in mm. where it's, it, it turned into a panic dip buy essentially. Right. Um, and that setup I had, but I didn't even know at the time, but I actually had been studying and watching videos on it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was going to be a setup of mine, but I, I had watched it enough times to understand like, this is a setup I can comprehend and know how the, how it actually works in the market. And so when I saw that happen, I said, I've seen this before. And so I, I, I dip bought it and made like, I made like 25 bucks, but back then in E-Trade, this is when commissions were $10 in and $10 out. Okay. They weren't for anymore. Um, so I made 25 bucks, but paid $20 in commissions. I made like five bucks. Uh, and it was, it, but that was the one obvious trade you've been waiting it was for. The, yeah. It was the first trade where uh. I said, I think I know what's going to happen. And I was right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, to the point where it, it became, it, it gave me a, an essence of repeatability. It mm -hmm. wasn't just this random buying or selling of a stock. It was like, wow, this has happened before and it just happened right now and it can happen again. Um, and so that was really the first setup for me of this panic dip buying idea that, uh, that got me to stay consistent, um, to mm -hmm. actually have something repeatable versus just, you know, quote unquote gambling, buying because I think something's going up or selling because I think something's going down. Okay. So. so this panic dip buy strategy, mm -hmm. is that kind of the first proper strategy that you started following and growing that small account? Yes, that was that was the first setup I ever really learned and, mm. and, and got profitable with. Yeah. That that really started growing that e-shirt account out of the hole that it was in. Um, and ultimately that's actually what then led me to learning how to short sell because a lot of these penny dip buys that I was buying was from stocks that were up 100, 200, 300% over a few days, I see. which led to that panic. And so that's what kind of, it, it helped me create this kind of, I guess, not diversified portfolio, but this, <laughs> this uh, two-handed, four-handed backhand strategy where it's like, okay, if I can short it before the panic comes mm. and then cover my short and then immediately dip by like flip it, then it's like a two-in-one kind of trade. And, yeah. then, and those were the two setups that really grew my account then from back down under, um, you know, call it down 4,000 bucks back to then break even. Mm. Um, and for context, the, when I was down $4,000, E-Trade was never been a good short selling broker. Yes. And so by that point I did have one more, one more, I guess, savings of $4,000 in my account Okay. to where I had then used those like four, so I lost $4,000. I took $4,000 more and opened up an IB account. I see. And that was my short selling account. So I never oh, refunded the, the okay. E-Trade, but I just used that 2K or 2,300 ish to dip by. Mm -hmm. And then the new $4,000 account at IB to short sell. So I just used those two accounts to then eventually get back break even and then oh. onward up, up from there. So you actually have dedicated accounts for each of the two strategies you were trading. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. E-Trade e wasn't that good at shorting um, OTCs. In mm -hmm. fact, I don't think they even offered OTC shorts, but o IB did, Interactive mm -hmm. Brokers did. And, and you have to be 21. I think I, right when I turned 21 in February of 2017, I, mm -hmm. I funded the account because I, I knew it, that was like perfect aligning of like realizing, you know, I can learn um, to, to short these dip buys that I've been trying to buy. And early on, were you trying to learn to scale in or was it just one entry, one exit for all those? 
scalable strategy. So I was I was under the PUT, so I didn't really have the luxury of scaling in, right? So the, the okay. and that's kind of why the panic dip by work, because even if even if I had the ability to scale in, the panic dip by is it was such a it's such a quick thing, like the the turn from a panic into a bounce. It's mm -hmm. such a quick. It really happens in a matter of seconds to a minute at most. Yeah. And so there really is no option most of the time to try to like slowly scale in. I mean, you have you got one entry kind of thing. Um, mm. So it worked out great because under PET, that's all I really could have, which was buying yeah. once and then selling once. And so okay. that's really what it was. So I'd try to buy that bottom, have it bounce. And if it broke that low, I'm either selling for a loss or I'm selling into the bounce for, for a gain. Yeah. So since you have two accounts, you can you could trade six day trades right. in one week. That's also why I wanted to open up because it, um. it, it helped me. I knew even, even if E-Trade, let's say E-Trade did offer good short selling. Yeah. At that point, it's I'm still only limited to three trades per week. So opening another one and then getting six was again another strategy that I wanted to use just to help lighten the the impact of the PDT for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And what and I know you were trading in college part time. So you, what was your kind of like your routine like so, while in school to trade? Right when I so when I and I think being on the West Coast helped me a ton. Yeah. Um, once I realized trading was what exactly what I wanted to do and that was going to take up most of my time, I immediately then structured around the market, market hours. Mm. So if the market opens at 6.30 or Pacific Coast time, I would try to trade from you know 6.30 to the close. Uh, that wasn't always the case. Sometimes I had to pick classes that were like midday. So I'd, I'd pick yeah. classes at like nine, 10 or 11 where, you know, there's nothing really going on in the market. Oh, I would okay. I'd always make sure to be, keep the first hour and the last hour of the market open because that's usually the most volatile or, or just important times to watch. Right. And then I saw so if I had to, I'd pick like one class middle of the day. Um, but most times, in most semesters, I was able to pick classes that were after the one o'clock. So the market would close. Oh, okay. I'd pick classes at two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. Sometimes I'd pick night classes at like seven o'clock and then end at nine. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I did that. So, so call it Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, I do pick afternoon to night classes. Uh, trade in the morning and then on the weekends I would either do homework that I've kind of slacked on uh, or I would right. or then you know weekend nights I would then work the part-time job so like Friday night mm -hmm. Saturday night Sunday night or sun or even morning we had brunch sometimes we serve brunch um, that's the times I would work my part-time you know shifts at, at the restaurant so so did your kind of your college like schoolmates or classmates friends in college mm -hmm. ask you like wonder what's this guy doing why is he always in his dorm room staring at the charts yeah so I, so I, I've, I lived at home, so there wasn't, there wasn't any like overarching roommates or people oh, kind of in I my see. business, but the, my close friends, I told, I told them about it and they yeah. were supportive, but I also think they just didn't even have a clue what I was doing. They just didn't even bother to, to look into it because um, none of them were really that big into or understanding of the stock market at the time. Yeah. Um, so they were supportive, not really looking into it. Most people, maybe coworkers, sometimes there were situations where coworkers were asking what I was up to mm -hmm. and I definitely... I definitely became more introverted around that idea of telling people, mainly because I, I knew the, and maybe maybe your your viewers know exactly what I'm talking about, like the the um, the essence you give off when you tell people you're day trading. It's like, oh, so you're you're unemployed and trying to gamble. You know what I mean? There's that there's yeah. this context or this 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 thing you give off when you talk about it like that, and so. For me, I tried to just not tell anyone because mm. I knew how I knew I knew what their or most likely their reaction was going to be. Yeah, and it didn't. It's a stigma. Yeah, it's yeah. A stigma. There you go. That's the word. And uh, and I knew their stigma didn't change how or what I thought about it yeah. or how I was going to impact or how I was going to make an impact on it or impact me. And so I tried to keep it as hush as I could. But I mean, my parents knew. My my mom was supportive. My dad was obviously uh, very critical. Very mm. um, you know 
how are you going to actually pay for this? Yeah. Like, this is, you know, I, I, for example, I, I would make 50 bucks and he'd be like, that's cool. But like, that doesn't pay the bills. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Just wait and see, yeah. you know? And now he's, he's, he couldn't be prouder. You know, I, I proved mm. him wrong. So, yeah. I guess in a way, the fact that you were uh, kind of isolated mm-hmm. at that time was good because you yes. needed to focus on trading. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say in terms of like having the, the college experience or, or, or getting the freshman 15, right? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I d- It didn't happen for me because one, I mm. lived at home, so it was different, but also two, right? I, I, for a long time, even, even my friends that I had from high school, I, there was a period of a few months where I definitely saw them very little, if not at all, because I really immersed myself in trading. Um, I actually mm. remember the very first month that started like my profitable trading that or my streak to being profitable and going back green from being red okay. um, was in May of 2017. And I don't think I went outside. <laughs> you know, I, I really think like for like okay. 12 plus hours a day, that whole month I was, mm. I was just immersed. Um, cause I was right. I, I, I like felt it. I was right on that cusp of really becoming truly consistently profitable. Mm. And so, I mean, I really, yeah, that was all I did for at least that month. Um, mm. of course I was studying four, six hours, maybe, before then, but yeah. I, I just, for some reason, I remember being a little hermit and really that's all I did in, in the month of May. I think so, that's what it yeah. takes though. Like you really need to be able to do that. Right. And mind nobody else's business, but your own. Right. So coming back to small caps for a second, I know that's what you focused on mm-hmm. in terms of small cap trading, long and short, but mostly short. How, how do you think nowadays the small cap environment has changed? Because obviously 2020 and 21 were great, mm-hmm. but nowadays it's a little bit iffy. Like, what, what are right. your thoughts on that? Yeah, totally. I mean, 2020, 2020, 2021 were, yeah, amazing years, incredible years. And almost the point where I, I, a lot of traders who had traded the dot-com kind of years or bubble compared mm-hmm. it to that. And I was like, wow, yeah. this is that was what this was like. That's incredible. You know, yeah. but yeah, 2022 was definitely then the, like the, the boom and then the bust. Yeah. Right. And 2020 was definitely one of the toughest years I personally traded. I was able to be profitable, but I ended up giving about half my year back in the process. Like I had made uh, call it roughly around 800,000 the first six months. Um, but then the next six months just gave it all back. Like mm-hmm. not all of it, but 50% or so. And so that was a huge kind of uh, a slap in the face. And I was worried 2023 was going to be very similar in terms of how difficult it would be. And, and, and it wasn't going to be this easy walk in the park like 2020 mm. and 2021 were. Um, for me individually, 23, 2023 feels like the, not exactly, but actually the more steadier market, like 2016 and 2017, at least that for my experience and, and okay. learn or remember. Yeah. Um, back to the norm. And I say that because I remember myself and all these other traders watching what Jerome Powell is saying about the Fed and what are interest rates doing and what is inflation doing where everyone was so fixated on like how is the economy going to get through this period of the 2020 and 2023 market Mm -hmm. and as 2023 went on I felt like that that level of pressure or that focus on these things started to dwindle and now it's just a steady market where we can just trade we don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about what's going to happen to the economy tomorrow um it's still not the same right we're still there's still a lot of icy waters like interest rates are still high and and it affects the market um but in terms of small cap i still think there's been a decent flow of opportunity it's just more spurt like so like you'll get two weeks of really hot runners and momentum. And then yeah. two weeks, you got to learn to t- take your pedal off the gas and not trade or, or take less risk. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I feel like it's been like that most of the summer, okay. October this year is started to feel like it's much more consistent. Um, mainly cause I think we're going into the winter period, which is typically a more busier cycle for small cap yeah. in my, in my personal experience. Um, but yeah, most of the summer and fall was like a week of hotness, slowness, hmm. week of hot, slow. 
Um, and so adapting that, and that's, and that's why I think I've handled and felt really good about 2023, because I'm usually pretty good at that. Um, at adapting to different market right. cycles. And, and, okay. and, the, and the way I do that is like, if, if I don't have a setup, I don't have a trade, period. Mm-hmm. So like I could see, you know, say 10 setups in one week when it's yeah. hot, I'd be like, great, this, it's hot. But then if the media next Monday is slow, I don't see anything, well, I don't see anything. So what am I, I what, what do I trade? The perfect example is this week, yesterday and today, I didn't take any trades because I'm looking at the market, I'm looking at my scanners and yeah, there may be stocks moving, but there's nothing that I know how to make money on. Mm. And so it's a very binary thing of like, switches off well i don't trade you know there's no setup for yeah in some ways it's um since you're predominantly more short biased Mm -hmm. in some ways that's good because you can react as opposed to if you are long biased you almost have to be on that first day if you're short biased you can wait for that first day to happen and then short it the secondary days or whatever Yeah. yeah that's a great point that's probably also why in the beginning stages i definitely gravitated towards being a short biased trader mm. simply because i was never quick enough to be able to catch that first hour <laughs> or that first day of the move yeah. to, to catch that momentum upwards but once it went upwards then i was like okay well if it goes too much upwards now i have a day or two even three days sometimes to prepare myself for when it actually starts going down. Mm. Um, definitely, there's it, you need to be quick um, to, to really capture a lot of good good long setups for sure. Yeah. Do you so do you prefer to short the second day or do you have what, what do you feel about shorting the first day? Let's say you have a very hot stock. The first green day or the first the, yeah the first I, runner of the day. Most I would say I. I try to stay away from it most of the time. Um, sometimes if there's like dilution or there's some kind of, maybe the news is total, like if you look into the news, maybe it's total BS. Like sometimes there'll be like a case study news and they said, we've had seven seven people try this study. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, well, seven people, that's not very, you know, so it's only if you really can look deep into that. Um, 95% of the time I won't short them because for that reason, like that's the first time you're getting buyers in and most shorts that I see people take on those usually lead to losses. And none of yeah. my big wins are from those kind of trades. And so again, okay. back to the whole, like where am I making my most money and where are my best setups popping up? That that area, that time of the day, or that day specifically, um, is just not it. So yeah, I, I try to stay away. Yeah. Mm, so you're more of a shorting the secondary days. Right, after. right, yep. Okay, yep. and do you ever swing those shorts Let's say you think, you know, a lot of these extended stocks, they can like sell off for multiple days. Right. Do you like swing trading overnight? Um, I I will if I think the stock is still extended enough. So like, let's say like, um, I don't know, a stock's run for two days straight from $1 to like five. So like 500%, Mm. huge, huge move. And if the first red day or the the first time it goes down is only down 10%, 15%, and we're still up, you know, call it 400%. Yeah. Then yeah, I, I might be very willing to swing only because I know statistically there's still more downside to be had. Versus mm-hmm. if it's only up 100 percent and it's down 10 percent, like well okay, it's only up 80, 90 percent now. It's not as mm-hmm. there's still not enough down. There's not as much downside as a stock that's still up 100 percent even after having the first the day of downside. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of a it's more of an art. There's not an exact stat or science I have yeah. behind it, but it's a general rule of like the more extended it still is even after the first down day will like give me an indication of like how how much is it worth it for me to swing or try? Not even swing. Sometimes I'll cover and just look to reshort the next day as well. Sometimes I'll mm. do that too. So I used to love swing shorting, mm-hmm. but I forgot what stock it was. It was during COVID. There was one stock that had a first red day, but it was just such a small pullback red day. Mm-hmm. And then kind of consolidated and the next day kind of ripped back up right. higher. So I stopped doing that. After and that's that something to be careful stock. too of. And that, and that's most times I'd rather, I'd prefer to just cover and then just reshort the second day for that reason. Mm. Sometimes it's just not worth the stress. Um, 
and, and I would say during the during the 2021 and 2020 market, I probably did that less because I knew how strong everything was. Yeah. In fact, I actually, the what period? I think it was the December through February of 2020 into 2021. I had made almost just as much, if not more on the long side. Cause that's, that was like mm -hmm. the peak of everything where everything went so nuts, where I would have like 10 long positions at one time. I had, you know, too many charts. I, I there were sometimes where I just wouldn't even look at certain charts. Cause I would just buy a stock and then put a stop loss and then stop watching. Cause I had eight other stocks to yeah. watch. It was that insane. So definitely, um, during, depending on the market environment period, shorting overnight definitely is, has its, uh, disadvantages for sure. So yeah. since you also dabble in long, mm -hmm. Where have you, I understand you make most of your money from shorts. Mm -hmm. Do you take, do you take the biggest loss or like most of your bigger losses from the long side then? Or um, how does that No, like? I would, well, yes and no, but for different reasons. So like my biggest trading losses are from the short side. Uh, okay. My biggest, I want to, I want to say they're trading, but really it was, it was me diverting from my strategy and trying to be kind of a long-term investor, let's call it. Oh, um, okay. So essentially, essentially I'm long, but I have, I've had a few like 50, 60 K and then like a hundred K losses, um, on the long side, mainly cause I just bought stocks for the long term and they just went to crap. And this was oh, over, this was ending 2021 and into 2022. So right into, <laughs> right when the bubble ended, right okay. into the recession, I just kind of, I, I not, I chalk it up to like, I had too much money. I had made too much money to do what to know what to do with. Mm. And so like, oh, well I have, you know, 300 K to just park in these stocks that I like. And over the course of 2022, they just were down, you know, 40, 50, 60%. Okay. So it's um, more like a swing trading loss. Yeah. It turned it, right. So, and, and that's why I say that because it was never really any of my long strategies in terms yeah. of day trading. It was like, I'm just going to throw money at these stocks. I like them. And it okay. turned to be the, the a worst possible huh. time to do that. <laughs> so, and eventually I took those losses. So that's why they were bigger. Um, but in my brain, I compartmentalized them. They were mm. separate from my quote unquote, you know, long trading strategy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the actual trading loss would be the, the shorts. Yes. My, my, okay. my, by far my biggest losses are on the, on the short side. Well, I guess, and the, the one big trading, the one big trading loss on the long side I can think of is actually mm. what kind of burst the bubble of 2020 and 2021. Um, okay. it was February, 2021 and it was a panic dip buy. Um, I had made more money on panic dip buys than ever before in that year. Mm. Cause the, everything, everything panicked and everything just huge, huge bounces because the yeah. volatility was insane. Um, and I, I had a bad habit where a new kind of trend that I had seen was instead of, like I said, what I learned is when they panic, you get one entry, like you get mm -hmm. one time to try to buy it and bounce it. And either it fails or it doesn't Yeah. during that hot COVID market, it would bottom once fake out and then bottom the second time. Mm. So it happened where I would actually have to cut my loss and rebuy. And it happened so often. I said, you know what? I'm not going to, I broke my own rules. I'm not going to cut the first time. Yeah. I'm just going to add the, on the second attempt. And then I it see. worked. And so I kept doing that and doing that and it worked. And that's why, you know, it, it was, you can call it adaptation, but at the same time I was also breaking a rule mm. and it was only a matter of time till one of them doesn't bounce the second time. And then I met with a bigger loss than I wanted. Um, and the ticker MN or MMNNF. Right. Or I think it was MM. Oh, so it's an OTC. Yes. Okay. It was one where it, it panicked, bounced maybe a few pennies a share and then and keep panicking. Kept getting, and then it, and just all day it turned into this like panic, slight bounce. So like this huge grind. And it ultimately okay. led me to just keep buying like on like a habit at this point, just keep buying the new low. Mm. And before I knew it late day, I'm like, this isn't bouncing. And I yeah. have a way too big a position. Okay. Um, and so I eventually sold that for like a 90 K loss that day. Um, 
And that was my new biggest loss at the time. And it was mm -hmm. on the long side for me just again, breaking that rule so consistently and finally realizing like that pattern's not happening anymore. Like I need to go mm -hmm. back to sticking to that one attempt because it, they can just keep bleeding. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's my biggest loss, at least on terms of trading that setup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about your biggest loss in terms of the short side? So, uh, my biggest loss was in, it was two technical trades, um, on HKD. Okay. Um, both were $125,000 each, but the reason why there were two trades is because they were in two different brokers. So I had two oh, brokers who okay. pre pretty much took the same position. I don't, I don't know why at the time I took different The two, same entries. Yeah, pretty much that. same oh, average, okay. same size. I don't know why I separated it other than, than one account was, maybe, I think one I was trying to day trade and the other trade I was trying to swing. Um, and so on, I remember it was a Friday, I was short from like the one, 70s 180s in hkd hkd went to 2000 right yes okay so, it's so that this is, stock okay so this is i the, didn't trade that stock but i have heard so of this it. is the beginning before the the disaster right and so okay. i'm i am essentially it came to me just ignoring all rules really i mean i i had yeah. i had said you know what, if it breaks over 200 i'm gonna cut the loss goes to 250 don't cut it then it panicked all the way down to like 150 a full okay. you know 100 points or 100 dollars a share downside i said okay that's this is the beginning of the end right that there's no way this can recover from that kind yeah. of move you know, over the course of two or three hours, it kind of grinds back. It ends up being at like 200, then it breaks 250. And oh I kind God. of okay. deer in a headlights just freeze. Um, and you held that position through when through it went to 150. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I it essentially, I just broke 250. I froze and it, then it went to 400 within the next hour. And at this point, like I'm just frozen. I'm like, I can't believe it. I'm almost in shock at this point, um, along with then being stubborn and, and maybe greedy of like, I don't want to take this loss. Finally, on the on the the swing trading aspect of it, or the, sorry, the day trading aspect of it, I realized no, I need to, I need to exit this. Like this yeah. is this is clearly not good. Um, <sighs> so I ended up getting out in like the high three hundreds. Was a hundred first hundred twenty five k loss. I still have the swing idea on, which is also oh, you want to swing short it. Yeah, I like, oh, I'm like sweating now. Right. <laughs> okay. And so I had so that was the first trade, the first half of it gone. I still had the other broker with the same position and the same average down the same amount. Okay. Why I chose to hold up, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was, again, it was denial at this okay. point. I'm just, I'm exiting half of it, but I'm like, you know what? If the other half works the next day, like, it'll be okay. Monday comes around. It doesn't even break down. I remember I think it held 400 like all day long. And I'm like, this is the exact opposite of what I thought was going to happen. Um, it, it, the good part about it was that I, I eventually came to the, to the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Like uh, many, I knew many other traders, unfortunately, who just never came to that realization and just kept holding. Yeah. Um, the best thing I did was get out of my own way and be like, you need to get out of this. Um, and so I covered that other half at like 400 um, before it went to a 500 and then 700. And then by the next day it was what, 2000, right? 2500. Oh my God, yeah. Um, so yeah, so pretty much I, I call it quarter million loss because it was the same trade, but it was two different brokers. Hmm. Um, 125K the first day. 125k the second day yeah a lot of lessons from that loss yeah. yes yeah oh uh God. it's just it was one of the, it was a wake-up call it was it, yeah. was it was the really the theme of that 2022 market where i gave back half my half my year on the fact that i just had i was the market gave me too much money too soon you know mm. and it was a it was a, a lesson i needed to learn of like you know if you don't take care of what you've made you will give it back like it mm. will go back into the market if you're not careful and that that was a you know huge call it slap in the face and a reality check so yeah. i think hkd is one of the first wave of super low float super sketchy mm -hmm. fundamental sec filings the the chinese stock that kind of got a lot of short sellers there was many others that follow that like yes. amtd like uh C something uh, top this year yeah top yeah. yeah g yeah. gdc gcg 
Uh, one of those. Yeah. 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 There, there was a lot of, there's a lot of, as, as short selling has got more popular, there's been more and more, uh, squeezes that have been, um, mm. alarming. It's definitely, it's very different from previous years where I had, you'd, you'd maybe see some hot runner or some hot move once a year. And it was maybe a 500 to 1000% move. Yeah. Now we're seeing maybe a couple times a year of these moves that are going 3,000, 4,000% yeah. uh, over the course of a day or a couple of days. And it's, it's scary. It, it's, it's much more, it's that much more important to have a, a, a risk management and risk um, system in place. Because if you don't like you, you could very well get caught in one of those, you know? So, yeah, I think it used to be like, if you use SEC filings and do the research on mm -hmm. the dilution yeah. and you have access to shorts, it used to be, that was an edge. Nowadays, I feel like that's the downfall of a lot of short sellers, unfortunately. Yeah, because yeah, you if, get so much conviction from the SEC filings. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's if there's like so much dilution and a, and, a, and a group of short sellers are like, yeah, this thing has to go. It has to go down. Right. The, yeah. the famous saying. Um, and that's why you know I will look at SEC filings. I will look at if how dilutive a stock is. But at the end of the day, I also need to understand that like if price actions tell me something different, I mm. can't in the name of dilution hold my short no matter what. I think yeah. that, that's what causes these squeezes is that too many short sellers are then get stubborn and by one, one gets squeezed out another one. And then it's this, this upward spiral effect of everyone just squeezing each other. Yeah. And, uh, because no one wanted to admit the fact that dilution is just not having an impact on that particular day, you know? Mm. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing with our audience, your biggest loss. That, that must have been like a really painful memory. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, luckily it was at the point where, it was money I can afford to lose, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I've always kind of used getting over emotionally big losses is that it's not that I lost the money, it's that I, I'm, in a, I'm fortunate enough in a position or as it is to get to lose that money, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, it's like, it's like it, the, way, the way I see it is like my very first big loss was I lost $4,000, not, not in the overall account, but say in 2018, I had a $40,000 account. Like I had, I'd been profitable. I took a loss of around $4,000 in the first hour of the day. Mm. And that was my first gut punch, very similar to what like HKD would, would have done or did to to me. Um, but what I got over it was like, I, get, I, I just lost $4,000 in one hour and I lost $4,000 in my first account two or three years ago. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I've, I've, it, it was, a, it's always a, a reflection of like, look how far I've come. Mm. doesn't mean the loss is okay, but it's like, you're all right. Mm. The world isn't, you know, falling apart. So. So tell our audience about your kind of how you select your stocks to trade, because that's equally as important as like having the right strategies, right? So how right. do you pick these stocks that has enough, I guess, liquidity and all that good, that good stuff for you to enter in and out? Yeah. So when I first started trading, I was very broad because I was such a small trader. Volume and liquidity didn't really matter to me because it was mm. so small. Like if I had a hundred share position size, well, I could trade something that only has a couple thousand shares trade in the day because I'm True. so small. Yeah. Now that I, I would like to trade fairly big size, not, not the biggest, but certainly way bigger than I started, mm -hmm. I need stocks with volume. So, yeah. so I'll, I'll love to scan for stocks that are trading at least a few million to, to tens of millions of shares a day. Okay. Um, sometimes it's the lesser is okay, but again, it also depends on dollar volume of the stock's price. Like 10 million shares of a $1 stock is way different than 10 million shares of a $10 stock. Hmm. It's the dollar volume is different. So I definitely need millions of dollar volume to trade it because I can take anywhere from a 50 to a $200,000 position on any given stock. So it's like, I need, I need the liquidity to get in and out. That's the first thing. Um, in terms of like for my, what I like to short sell, it's very similar to what I said, where it's like, um, that first green day gets my attention. Hmm. where a lot of short sellers might take losses, they get squeezed or whatever. I don't yeah. like to touch it. I then love to watch those 
first green days turn into second green days, maybe three, maybe four. Um, at the most, I think I've seen like 10 green days in a row where they just, it just keeps on going, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm then at that point, the higher it goes and the more green days in a row it goes, I get more and more interested in when's the first time it's gonna go red? Like when's mm. the, when is the, because if I'm a short seller and there's no, say, let's say there's no dilution, the only way I'm going to make money if a stock goes down is if there's long selling. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't, um, I can't count on other shorts shorting with me hmm. because ultimately that, that usually will lead to a short squeeze. Like yeah. if there's too many shorts in a stock, then <laughs> yeah. we all cover together. Well, there, there you go. We all squeeze ourselves. So the only way I confidently feel like a stock's going to go down is if there's more long selling than shorts covering and or buyers buying. And so the, the, you know, let's say that stock is up three days in a row. I'm looking for signs that sellers are finally realizing, oh crap, if I don't sell now, I might take a smaller or I might take losses or a smaller gain later. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's the first time it's ever gone red in the day, like percentage wise. Sometimes that's the first time a morning spike has tried to go up and immediately fails versus the last two days it actually went for the first like 30 minutes. Hmm. Uh, maybe it gaps down the first day. All these little things that I'm trying to look for to, to show me, you know, it might just look like those little things like, oh, it's just a gap down. What could that possibly mean? But then if you put yourself in the thousands of people who are along, yeah. they're thinking like, oh, crap, I was up 500 yesterday. Now I'm only up 400 today. I better get out. Yeah. Um, and you get a thousand of those people selling and all of a sudden you, you result in something that, uh, re you know, caused the stock to go down for the morning. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really what I like to look for. Yeah, so you care a lot about the psychology of those long mm -hmm. bias traders, like how they think, when they're most likely to sell, and then hop in when they're right. trying to right. and unload. That's, and that's really the basics of, of the markets, right? You, hmm. you need to understand the, the mechanics of why a stock is moving in either direction. And it's either, there's only, there's only four ways, right? It's either longs are selling, longs are buying, shorts are entering, or shorts are covering. And so hmm. it's hard to tell whether it's selling or shorts entering, or buying and shorts covering. But again, given where you're at in the pattern, given where you're at in the stock, whether it's overextended, whether it's overbought, oversold, all these kind of indicators you can kind of put together to build a story of like, well, okay, I don't know how many shorts are covering, but I can assume most are probably. Or I don't know how mm. many longs are selling, but it's likely most would sell right here. Or, 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 or are feeling at least uneasy that they might want to sell here. Um, mm. That kind of idea, yeah. Do you kind of stock your stock stock your stock yes. for like the entire morning or like when especially when it's having its first green day and do you, how, what's your process like i guess that's my question yeah you so, know so part of that part of the yeah I, I say that all the time stocking the stock yeah um because right if i if i because okay, i'm not taking it long on the first green day and i'm watching it i like to see can it go a second day can it go a third day? And then again, the more days in a row it goes, the more interested I get. So then yeah, every morning I am watching. I'm like, okay, is this the first day it's gonna go weak? Or like, okay, it's had morning spike the last two days in a row. Is this gonna be the third day it has a morning spike? I'm trying to look for the characteristics behind a stock, right? Every stock mm -hmm. I think has its own personality in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And so finding out what those characteristics are better help you make, I think, more and informed decisions when it's actually time to enter your position. Totally. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So does that mean you have, let's say, you know, two days out of the week with no trades then mm -hmm. if you're just watching a stock? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like today, today I just watched, um, I don't even remember the ticker, but I just watched stocks today. I didn't trade, hmm. watched a few that I was watching, you know, cause none of them were really setting up, but I thought to myself, if they can get to these prices or if they can go in these directions, I'm going to be that much more interested. And so I'm watching how they're moving. Are they even strong enough to get to those points? Are they weak enough? Like, how do they look? How are they acting today? What are other people saying about them? Hmm. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I'm very impressed with your patience, especially the charts you post online. It's like you have like a couple entries, like we said, there are a couple mm-hmm. entries and you wait like entire day for an exit. Yeah. So how do you sit through consolidation after you've entered a, entered a position, whether it's long or short and it's taking its time? How do you sit through that and how do you know ultimately when to get out? So for me, it's really about the trade plan. Um, and in the, in the earlier stages of my trading guess, journey, I struggled with patience because I mm. didn't know the importance of sticking and staying in that trade plan. So if I just got bored or I got uncomfortable and I could have been uncomfortable for any which reason, like I just, I had a, a random daydream that, I, that I'm going to take a loss, even though I'm, the mm. stock's doing nothing. So I just, yeah. I just sell. Right. Um, ultimately I, I, I had to retrain myself to realize like if I'm still in the trade, and a setup calls for a certain type of move to happen. Like, let's say I'm shorting for that first kind of red day or that first down day. Yeah. I know for me, that first down day should offer at least 10, 15, maybe 20% of downside. Okay. So if I'm only up 5%, I haven't got stopped out yet. Or I, have my, I have my stop loss. I'm only up 5%, let's say. The stock's only down 5%. And I have conviction that, you know, 80, 70, 80% of the time, this should be 10% lower. Then there's nothing for me to do. I have mm. to just let the stock move for me versus me trying to make it move, like just by watching it, right? Like I'll watch it to know in the case there's indicators to show me like, okay, this is this has been too weak for too long or this has been too strong for too long. Um, but ultimately I, 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 I always side on the sign of caution of, I need to stay in this trade plan as long as I need to, to let it play out. Because there's been so many scenarios where I may think a stock's too strong mm-hmm. and then the last hour of the day, it just falls apart. Or I yeah. think the stock's, stock's too weak and all of a sudden it just rips right back on me, right? So there's just so many different ways a stock can move on any given way or time or day. But on average, of at least any particular setup you're trading, having an understanding of how much it should move and in what direction it should move mm. is the, what's important because I think that's what gets me to stay in. And that, the fact that like there's more downside, there's more money for me to make, you know, on average. So, so yeah. So that means, do you also track a lot of statistics on these stocks? Yes. I, I, I used to be, when I first started out, I used to be a fan of trading or of tracking the actual setup itself, like learning about it. Yeah. I'm like the panic did buy. I definitely tracked, even if I traded or not, I wanted to, to track and how it worked and how it moved. Nowadays I've, I've taken enough trades where I will just journal and track my own trades and use that as, as kind of my data set okay. only because yeah, maybe I miss some trades. Maybe I don't trade some well, hmm. but what I learned is, you know, you may have a, uh, a setup that works. Like mm-hmm. I know it works, you know, it works, your neighbor knows it works. But then when it comes to actually trading it, some people can't trade things and that's okay. Like I know certain setups work, but I am, I will always be unprofitable with them for whatever reason. It's my personality. Yeah. Um, I can't, I don't find the right entries. I'm not quick enough. I'm not fast enough. Um, for whatever reason I can't trade them. Hmm. And so for me, it's not only enough, it's not enough to just know that it works statistically, but it works when I take the trade. And I, yeah. it's like how, how much, how aligned can my trading fit the stats, hmm. right? Because I'm a discretionary trader, right? If you're a, if you're an algo based trader where you let the computer trade for you, then yeah, you can probably align the, the computer to trade exactly how the stats tell you. Yeah. But if you're discretionary, you have your own emotions, you have your own thoughts, your feelings, your, your, your life choices, like all these things can add up to end up making the trade either better for you or worse for you. Um, and so I think it's important, at least for me, I like to track how I trade setups mm. in conjunction with the actual stats so I can show myself that like, okay, I'm actually trading them correctly. Earlier, I know you shared your biggest trading loss. Do you mm. remember your most memorable or the biggest win? Yeah, I have, I have, I have two and one is one I'm really proud of and one I'm not so proud of. Um, okay. 
So the one I'm not so proud of was the ticker LYT. Um, LYT was another sketchy, low flow kind of scammer stock. Um, but instead of squeezing, it dropped like a rock. And that's why I think those, some of these squeezers are so go so massively because so many short mm-hmm. sellers have gotten a, the, like, the, like flies to a lantern, right? We all, we all see these stocks that can, you know, have these huge amounts of volatility. And for a long time, they didn't squeeze and they dropped like 80% a day. Um, they oh, were huge, huge, okay. huge, huge moves. And so I was one of those short sellers who wanted to be a part of that, that, that setup, right? Mm. Um, a lot of people call them like liquidation plays because the stock just gets destroyed, right? Yeah. Um, and LYT was one where there was very little squeezing. There was almost no squeezing. And I got short a, a very large position and it dumped 80%. Um, I made like 170K in one account and mm-hmm. then like another 30 or 40 another. I made like just over 200 grand on that particular trade um, or that setup, which is great. But the problem yeah. is... There was HKD, there was ILAG, there was TOP. There's all these ones that were also this scammy, sketchy tickers yeah. that everyone wanted to drop 80% and they did the Squeeze opposite. Squeeze first, yeah. Right? So I'm not proud of it because it's like, yes, it worked out and yes, it, it was, it, it, it gave me a big gain, but I soon realized later down the road that same setup had just bigger risks or, or worse. Right? I see. So right. it's not like you are not proud of it because you broke the rules of bag holding like with HKD, but it's right. more so... You feel like that particular trade doesn't actually happen that often. Like where it doesn't squeeze and just go. Right. That yeah, and along so with the fact that it's like, yeah. you know, I made a lot of money, but the risk I took to make that much money, knowing now what can happen if they didn't let that happen and they like squeeze instead, it, the risk reward is just very scary. Mm. Um, you know, like that could have been that ILYT, even though I made 200 grand, that could have been my first HKD before HKD. I see. You know, I just didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that was a possibility, how hard they can squeeze a stock like that. Mm, okay. Um, so, right. I wouldn't, maybe, maybe it's not a not proud. It's just that I didn't know any better. Mm, right. Okay. Um, the trade I'm really, really happy with to this day was my first six figure gain. Uh, this was in, this was also in February of 2021. Um, the ticker WNDW. Okay. This was an OTC. I think it's still an OTC. Um, it was one of those tickers that was was hot during the whole year. I think it started at one or two bucks, and by the time of that that peak of that bubble, uh, I think it touched forty bucks. So just this oh, huge, wow. okay. huge run. Yeah, and it wasn't all in one day. It was like over two months. It just first run was like from four bucks to ten, then from ten to seventeen, then from seventeen to twenty five, and before mm. you know it, the last huge run it was like from from twenty five to forty, and. Um, and I had been trading it every single time it ran up. Like, so whenever it got extended, I would short it, oh, make some money. Okay. Short it some more, make some money. So it's like, I had already traded this setup from this particular stock like four times. It was, yeah. it was like the Fannie Mae example earlier in the, in the episode where, where I said, you know, I've seen this happen four or five times. Mm. Um, now it was happening in the matter of three or four months instead of years. And so when it touched 40 bucks, then I think it closed like 33, 34. Um, I had seen it happen enough time. I said, the odds of this being a red day tomorrow is like super, super high. Uh, and so I just shorted a large amount of size. I think I risked about 15 or 10 to 15 grand of a loss, which mm. is big. I don't even know like the risk that, but because yeah. all of the indicators were in my favor, um, I thought it was a very ideal kind of short play. And so I took bigger risk. Um, it dropped as low as I think the high, high 20s, closed at like 31. And again, back to the, when, when do I decide to, decide to swing or not? Well, you know, we, we topped out at 40 bucks, we're only down mm-hmm. to 31. This run started from like 25, but really this thing's up from four bucks two months ago. Yeah. You know, so I put all that together and I'm like, you know what, this, this could go back like to the twenties, like lower twenties. Okay. Um, so I did hold overnight and the next day it panicked to 22 uh, or like 20, 21. And I covered in 22, um, mm. made like 104 grand. Um, and that was, that's why I'm, I, I say I like that one more because that's 
that is like the perfect kind of red day pattern for me. Yeah. And that was by far the, just the biggest um, gain on that particular setup that I've always felt good about in terms of mm. risk reward, in terms of understanding it well enough. Um, again, the opposite of LYT, of not knowing what I didn't know. Um, so yeah, that was that's still one, today one of my favorite trades. Yeah. So you do sizing a lot more for those perfect A plus setups. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, absolutely. I think we learned that term recently from Lens, saying it's exponential bet sizing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't have a, a a perfect exact formula for how I choose to like exponentially bet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, after about three to four years in, I had started to realize like there were not all setups are created equally. And I don't mean that in a breakout equals a dip buy or uh, a dilution short means uh, a parabolic short. I mean, mm. like this breakout is way different from that breakout, Yeah. right? Because this breakout might only have five things going for it. Like it, mm. might, it have, might have okay news, it has okay volume. Maybe the breakout level is like, it's kind of sketchy, but it's it works yeah. versus the breakout that happens next week. It's got great news. It's got a billionaire investor. It's got no dilution. It's got huge volume. Like. There's, there's a scale in how yeah. good indicators can be. And so the better I can find trades that have almost all the indicators going for it, it's like the stars start aligning, mm. you know? And if they do that, then, I, then I, it, it calls for more risk. Yeah, absolutely, so. I know you call yourself a discretionary trader, but mm -hmm. I think the way you think about these setups is very systematic. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, try, I try to, even though, yeah, I, I am, I'm, technically discretionary, but I definitely try to discretionarily align <laughs> with the, with the, the system or the strategy as much as possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think that's one of the things that a lot of new traders lack. They don't know how to categorize their trades and they don't know which trades to focus on. They don't mm -hmm. have those A plus setups and they don't know how to identify them right. because they don't, the, the criteria is all over the place or they may not even have a criteria. Right. What would your advice be for those traders struggling with that? That, yeah, this is a, this is, I think why trading can be so difficult mm -hmm. because it's such a, it's such a two-sided thing. And, and so on the one side, I want to say, you know, waiting for the best setups is better because, you know, when you get, you get to a point where the top 10 or 20% of trades are going to be all your profits, let's say. And so taking yeah. all those smaller trades that you think might work, but aren't really that confident about, yeah. ultimately end up leading to being break even across the board. Like I would say 80% of my trades really don't get me anywhere, hmm. but it's the top 20, top 10% that really move the needle in my account. The problem is like you said, when you're beginning, you don't really know what that is. You don't yeah. know what your top setups are gonna be. You have to, it takes time to figure that out and find that out. And unfortunately in doing so, you have to test, you have to tinker, you have to take setups that you have no idea about. <laughs> mm. You simply have to lose to learn in yeah. some in some ways. Um, and so that's why it's so tough because that's, that's, the, that's the, in essence the learning curve for most traders. And so I think the best thing you can do is, is kind of make a, a conscious decision of how, how much do you want to pay for that learning curve. Um, mm. Back to that why, back to that the whole thing about I never really blew up my first account. I lost 70%, yeah. but I never really blew it up because I chose to let my learning curve be cheaper than it needed to be. Right? You, can, you can start with say, if you know, say, you, say you've got a good lump sum of money and you want to start trading with 50 grand. Right. That's no. that, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But like if it's your first account, I think most people watching, if you've traded your first account, you know how it usually goes, which is, you know, are you prepared to lose 80, 90, 100 percent of that 50 grand? Yeah. And you can say sure, but emotionally it's going to feel way worse than only losing five. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and the reality is you can learn the same lessons from only losing that five versus losing that 50. Yeah. It's just how much do you want to choose to learn to it's how much do you want to take it? And the problem is. Some people generally don't 
make it meaningful unless it has an emotional pain to it, which is why mm -hmm. losing that 50 might actually, for some people, unfortunately, be the only reason why they learn. Because for them, losing 50 won't mean much, but 500, yeah. oh, that stings a little bit. You like your mm -hmm. brain makes you learn it the more painful it is but if you can get out of you can get out of that and realize no matter how much you lose there's a lesson in it no matter how big i think you can begin to further refine that process that much quicker and have your learning curve essentially be cheaper um so and get, and get to that and get yourself quicker to that point of learning what a plus setups look like yeah. to actually then risk more and then make more money than you lose and become a very efficient exponential betting trader so now that you found a lot of success with your trading over the last couple of years what's kind of what keeps you going now? Like, what's the next big thing you're working towards? Um, I think a lot of it is still trading. Like, as much mm. as I, I, as much as, even though I've made my millions, I, I still thoroughly enjoy, and, and I don't want to call it greed, but I definitely would like to make more millions. Uh, mm. You know, at some point, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely a more relaxed state about it in terms of when I first started, but I definitely enjoy pushing and keep becoming a better trader. Um, yeah. But beyond that, a, a rewarding is also teaching. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be on this podcast had I would not been transparent and public about, about my journey and, and how I've come to this point. Um, and I wouldn't even be trading in general if it wasn't for people who also were willing to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, me and a couple of buddies when I, and when actually, when I first started trading, I was actually very, it was very individual. Um, I didn't even talk to anybody until about, I was about $30,000 in profits. Mm. Um, and Jack Kellogg was my first, what's the first guy who reached out to me. He was also up around $30,000 in profits and he's become one of my closest friends in the trading community. And so then him, I also met a guy named Mike Huddy, um, mm. who's also a really great trader, along with another guy named Dom Master Mateo. And we essentially all felt the same of like, we all enjoy teaching beyond, beyond just teaching. We also enjoy just our each other's company. Like we're all good friends the last call it five or six years. Mm. And, uh, and we started our own online community called Clover Trading, which is just us being willing to share our trades and do webinars and teach and just build that community because it's, it's very lonely. Um, mm, it can be yeah. very lonely if you're just you and yourself and your screen. Um, and it was for me for a very long time, but I was, I'm okay being alone sometimes yeah. but once I got to my first trading like in-person conference I was like this is amazing like why haven't I gone to these sooner mm -hmm. and I think we wanted to recreate that so we do boot camps um, we just did one in Boston in August and we want to do another one I think probably in New York uh, next year because it, it just it's just a good way to just be in front of other traders and talk um, I know you're going to traders for a cause I'll be there so it's mm -hmm. just it's stuff like that it's it's oh. it's amazing it's fun yeah I think trading is uh, very very lonely even though I think a lot of us needed that in order to focus and find our first breakthrough right. like you did in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But once you've gotten, you gotten there, you want to be surrounded by other like-minded yeah. traders. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And trading such a, it's so weird. I felt so uncomfortable because I've never been a, I've never been one to really want to share my stuff because I always feel like I'm bragging. I used to feel like as a kid, I just didn't want to tell any people about anything. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I never really told anyone what I was doing in terms of trading wise. Yeah. Um, I, I, I learned that if I'm not telling people about it, it's like, they'll just never know. It doesn't have to be bragging. It doesn't have to be, hmm. uh, it could just be talking about your experience and yeah. sharing what you're going through because so many people are going through the same thing. And it's very easy to think that you're the only one going through it when the reality is everyone's taken a loss like you. Everyone's, you know, felt these emotions that trading brings. Um, and so being able to share that and, and pretty much relive other people's experiences or share your experiences with other people, um, I think is, is huge. It's, it's a huge help. So oh, what can people find you on social media? Um, social media. So Twitter is, uh, at trader Kyle C just the letter C. Um, Instagram is Kyle underscore C Williams. Um, YouTube is Kyle Williams. You can find me there as well. So cool. Thanks so much for sharing Absolutely. with our audience today, Kyle. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is great.
I want to say thank you guys so much for leaving us a five star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your support means a lot to us. 